We're going to be uh, back in Colossians chapter 3 this morning. We are actually finishing up chapter 3. We will be doing chapter 4 next week. The whole shebang, probably. Sometimes I, I change my mind on that, but I, I think we're going to do the whole shebang. And then we will be into our summer series. I will mention that at least a few times this summer, I would like to do uh, some question weeks. So if you have a burning question that didn't get answered last summer, you can put it on this card, put it in the, the question box there, and uh, I will try to address them over the summer. So far, the box is completely empty, which communicates to me that you guys know everything. So uh, that, that works. That totally works, though. So, if we get none in there, then uh, th- th- we just won't, won't, won't do them, and that's fine. Uh, no biggie. All right. So we have been uh, in, um, in this section of Colossians, which is uh, basically all of chapter 3, right? And he uh, started us talking about this idea that we have been uh, raised up with Christ. Remember in chapter 2, he talked about the fact that we died and we were buried with Christ. And we've also been risen with Christ. We've been raised up with Christ. And we are now resurrected people. We aren't who we were before. We are different now. And we have stripped off the old self, right, and put on this new self. The old us doesn't exist anymore. It's not who we are. We are this new person in Christ. Now, can we act like the old person? Sure we can, right? But that would be weird because that's not who we are. We've been made this new person in Christ, right? Part of this new person in Christ is that we have, we have put on this heart of compassion. We have put on this heart of kindness and humility and considerateness and patience and love. That is who we are now. It is not something we need to uh, sort of, you know, buckle down and try to, try to be and try to, you know, morph ourselves and change ourselves into this. This is us. He has made us this. Now it's just about being who he's made us, right? Wearing the clothes that fit the new us. He has given us this peace to rule in our hearts. He has given us his word to richly dwell in our hearts. Uh, and we just need to, need to show it off, need to furnish it in our hearts, right? He has given us his name so that in whatever we say and whatever we do, we represent him now. We are his representatives on this planet to our friends, to our family, and we get to image him. We get to reflect his character to uh, those around us. What a privilege that is, right? Last week, we focused on how this resurrected life comes out in certain relationships and responsibilities that we had. Uh, We talked about wives uh, choosing to selflessly surrender themselves for their husbands. Husbands loving their their wives in a self-sacrificial way, as Christ did on the cross, right? Sons and daughters choosing to choose the self-denying obedience. Not not what I want, but I'm going to submit what I want to what my parents want. Fathers laying down this domineering that we might be prone to for growth-seeking discipline in our children's, children's lives, right? It should radically, we're new people in Christ, so it, so it should, should change all aspects of our lives, including these relationships, right? Today we're going to talk, uh, we're going to continue with kind of these practical examples in real life with talking about the way we do work and how it should change the way we do work. So let me pray for us and we'll get into it. Lord, um, we are thankful 
to be together. We're thankful to uh, be able to worship you like we have and to be able to worship you with our lives. As we look into your word, there are things this morning that we may need to uh, make some radical changes in the way that we operate in our workplaces. We may need to just change a few things or, or just change the way we're thinking about work. Uh, whatever you need to do in us this morning, I pray that you would do, that you would be the teacher here this morning, and that uh, your word would, would transform us, that we wouldn't uh, walk away the same as we were before, but we'd walk away different because of what your word's doing in our lives. Uh, Lord, help me just to make your word clear. Pray this all in your name. Amen. So, we're starting in verse 32 today. It starts with this word, slaves. Now, we have an immediate problem here, I think, with interpretation. We have a couple of problems. Both in interpreting this passage and in applying this passage, there are some barriers to this starting with slaves. We looked at wives, we looked at husbands, we looked at uh, sons and daughters, we looked at fathers. No interpretational barriers there, right? Because it's just direct and we go, okay, that makes total sense. Here we have the word slaves, which one of the problems is because of our history, because of where we've been as, as a nation, because of our current state of race relations in our nation, we come to a passage like this and there's some immediate roadblocks that go up for us 21st century American Christians. Because what we want to do typically in these kind of verses is to move the conversation away from what the text is saying, which I think is pretty clear, to talking about the morality of slavery or the apparent lack of activism in the New Testament uh, against slavery. Jesus not speaking against slavery, having those kind of discussions. Is Paul trying to address those discussions in his passage here? He's not. And so for us, I think it is unfair to the text for us to try to read those things in or for those to create problems for us in trying to interpret this text. In fact, the only thing I'm going to say is that I very much agree with one of my professors from Dallas, Dr. Constable, says this in his commentary. He says, Paul's view was this, it is more important for Christians to carry out our mission as Christians in whatever social conditions we find ourselves than it is for us to make changing those conditions our primary concern. I could not agree with him more. The New Testament is far more concerned, the Bible is far more concerned with us glorifying God in the circumstances that we are in than it is about big social change, right? Now, it doesn't mean that social change is wrong, especially in our country. We should, we should work towards social change. But that is not the primary concern of the New Testament. The primary concern of the New Testament is us being us in, what, in who God has made us in whatever circumstances we find ourselves. In fact, later on today, you can look at 1 Corinthians 7, which basically says that. By the way, discussing these things are, is not wrong. It's not wrong to, to discuss these things. It's not wrong to have a conversation about uh, the morality of slavery and why the New Testament doesn't address slavery and those kind of, kinds of things. And put, put a question in the box if you want to have a discussion about that. But if our goal is to understand, interpret, and apply this passage, those conversations aren't helpful to that purpose here. I don't find them to be helpful. The second problem with the fact that this starts with slaves is that we do not have slaves in our society. Thank goodness, right? And so there's a problem of application and correlation to our lives. 
So because it starts with slaves, do we just ignore it? Do we just walk away from these verses and like mark them out in our Bible and go, eh, it's addressing slaves. I'm not a slave, so I'm good. I don't think so. Uh, And you guys who took uh, my hermeneutics class, I think you got a sense of this. We should not walk away from any text that way. We should look at a text like this, and we should look at the correlations to our lives. Sure, we're not slaves, but there are correlations. And the biggest correlation I see in these passages to our current lives is is workers, is as workers, right? Employees. And I'll show you why I, I find these connections to be here. This is just a little brainstorming that I did. I don't know if it's that too small to read. I'll read them for you. But let me just make some comparisons to the master-slave relationship and the employer-employee relationship. First century Roman Empire, one out of every two people were slaves. That's 50%. 21st century America, 60% of people are employed. So they are employees. About half, right? First century Roman Empire, most slaves were slaves for financial reasons. They either got into too much debt because they let that run on too long and then they were enslaved, or they couldn't support their family, and so they chose to enslave their family to a household in order for their family's needs to be taken care of. 21st century America, most people have jobs for financial reasons. There are some exceptions to that, but pretty much people go to work so that they get a, get a paycheck, Right? First century Roman Empire, a slave's daily activity was determined by their master. 21st century America, an employee's daily activity is determined by their employer. First century Roman Empire, there was a power dynamic between masters and slaves. And contrary to popular belief, that didn't mean that the slaves didn't have legal protections. They did have legal protections. But there was definitely a power dynamic there, okay? 21st century America, there is a power dynamic between employers and employees, right? First century uh, Roman Empire, some masters were generous and kind, others were jerks. 21st century America, some bosses are generous and kind, some bosses are jerks, right? First century Roman Empire, some slaves had a close relationship with their masters as friends and confidants. In fact, we have some writings to this extent. Some were distant from their masters. 21st century America, some employees have a close relationship with their boss as friends and confidants. Some are distant. First century Roman Empire, daily tasks were determined and directed by their masters. 21st century America, daily tasks are determined and directed by their employers. First century Roman Empire, they were held accountable by their masters for the work that they did. 21st century America, employees are held accountable by their employers for the work that they do. I think there are a lot of parallels, and I think we could add to this list. This is just a a quick list, right? That there are a lot of correlations between employers, employees, and masters and slaves. So I think we can make those correlations. I hope you see how we can make those correlations. And that's pretty much what I'm going to talk about today is that correlation, okay? So let's look at it. Slaves. Obey those who are your human masters. As the resurrected people of God, this is the new you. Paul's speaking to these these slaves and saying, this is the new you. These are the new clothes that fit you well. And the new you is someone who obeys your master. This word obey is the same word that we looked at last week for children obeying their parents. 
It's that word that means listen up, right? To listen and obey, like we used to tell our kids, just listen and do, listen and obey. This is what is being called for here. Your master asks you to do something, you say yes, and you do it. Correlating that to 21st century workplace, we are people that put on these clothes that as employees, when our employers give us direction, we say yes. I will do what you ask me to do. We don't say, ah, you know, I don't think that's a part of my job description. We listen, we follow, we, uh, our employers make policies, they make standards, they give directives, and we listen to those policies, we listen to those standards, and we listen to those directives. Now, when, when do we do that? Do we do that just when um, they give us things that we agree with? Do we only do it when we feel like it? Do we only do it when our bosses are treating us with respect and they ask res respectfully? Do we only do it as long as my boss is a good leader and someone I want to follow? That's not what it says here. It says, slaves, obey those who are your human masters in everything. Not just when obeying is easy, not just when it might lead to a promotion, but in everything. And you know, I, sp I spent hours studying this word everything this week. Um, do you guys believe me? <laughs> Guess what it means? Everything. All things. Every single little thing we obey. Now, I'm going to say the same thing I said last week with ch children and parents. Of course, if your employer asks you to do something that would cause you to be disobeying your ultimate master, Jesus, then of course your ultimate master, Jesus, wins out. But I have never, ever, ever heard of an employer ever asking their employee to do something against God's will for them. Never heard that. It may be there. And of course, we have to serve our Lord right? But typically that objection that comes into the mind is, is not a true objection. It, it's, it's that little bit of doubt in your mind to let, to let you off obeying in every other area that you're supposed to, right? To go, ah, you know, if I can disobey in this area, that gives me sort of carte blanche to disobey in some other areas where I might disagree with my employer. No, we are people. As the people of God, we are those in our workplaces who our employer asks us to do something, and we do it. That's who we are. And he says, not with eye service, as people pleasers. This word eye service is a weird study in Greek, but it basically just means when they're watching you, okay? Not just when they are watching you, but all the time. When I was uh, in my 20s, I worked for um, Sprint, the cell phone company, uh, they don't even exist anymore. Does, does, like, the company Sprint even exist anymore? Like, as a, I don't think so. I think they're gone. Anyway, they were a cell phone carrier, right, in the mid-'90s. Uh, I worked for Sprint. Um, every so often, our regional manager would come into the store, and, and, and our manager knew those days when the regional manager was coming. Guess what happened the day before the regional manager was coming? 
right? Ooh, we got to get it all together. Okay, Ooh, okay, we got to, okay, tomorrow, guys, we got to have all our shirts pressed. Uh, your hair better be combed, right? And uh, like your workstations need to be cleaned. And we're going to like top to bottom, we're going to spring clean this place. And all the phones are going to be all polished up and shiny. And all the coverage maps are going to be all shiny and stuff, right? <coughs> Excuse me. Why? Because you got you to gotta do what the regional manager wants you to do on the day that the regional manager is there. Right? Question is, why didn't my manager do that all the time? If that was the standard by which the regional manager wanted us to perform at, why weren't we performing at that level all the time? Well, because it wasn't about obedience for my manager, right? It wasn't about truly doing what he was asked to do. It wasn't truly, sincerely trying to meet the standards of the company he worked for. Instead, it was simply about pretending in the moment, acting like we cared in the moment we needed to act like we cared because we were being watched. This eye service that he's talking about cares much more about how something looks than what something actually is. People-pleasing cares much more about how people perceive the job you're doing than, the actual, than actually doing a good job. We, as resurrected people of God, as resurrected workers, we are those who do our jobs in a different way. We are those who care about what something really is. We are those who care about actually doing a good job from a sincere heart. Which is the next thing he says. But, not with eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart. Sincerity of heart literally means single-heartedness as opposed to double-heartedness, single-heartedness. Not, not in a way when, not one way in which, I can't speak, not just one way when they're watching, right, and another way when they're not watching. That's dual-heartedness, right? Not appearing as if you're doing an honest day's work, while still looking for ways to get out of an honest day's work, but genuinely having a desire to want to meet the expectations of your employer and doing it and carrying that out. That's how we work differently. And why do we work differently? Is it because that's the way to, to get ahead in the working world? Maybe, maybe not. Do the hardest workers always get ahead? Not always. There are plenty of examples of people pleasers getting ahead, right? Is it because your boss always knows better than you? Not necessarily. Is it because your boss will always make the right decisions? We know that's not true. Is it because you don't want to lose your job? Now, maybe, but that's not the reason he gives us. Look what he says. With sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Now, this word fearing can mean like quaking in your boots. It can mean being afraid, uh, being frightened. But in this context, it, it's, it, it's more of the sense of deep respect for God. Deep respect for who God is. 
I don't know about you, but I've had a number of bosses, and some of the, the bosses I've had I respect greatly just because of who they are and how they kind of conduct themselves and how they probably cared for me. I respected them a lot. And there are some bosses I have had that I have not respected one bit. That boss at Sprint, that guy did, did, did not garner my respect. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether your boss is someone who, who's deserving of respect or not deserving of respect. He's not the focus. She's not the focus. The focus is on the big boss, right? The ultimate boss. That I live my life out before my Lord and out of respect for my Lord. And so I do my job in a different way because I respect him deeply. The point on your handout, if you want to fill it in, is workers, as the new person you are, choose sincere obedience to your human boss out of respect for your Lord. Workers, as the new person you are, choose sincere obedience to your human boss out of your respect for your Lord. He goes on. Hey, Jan, would you run that mouse southward there? So it, just, just off the page there. Thank you. All right, verse 23. He goes on. He says, whatever you do, do your work heartily. He's going on with, with how we work, how we do our work, how we go about our business. Whatever we do, whether it's a difficult or an easy job, whether it's something you love to do or something you hate to do at your job, whether it's a menial task or a high-impact task that's going to be really significant to your workplace, uh, if it's something you've done a million times or something you're just doing for the first time, it does not matter. Whatever you do, work hard. Work heartily. Heartily means, it literally means to work from the soul, work from the deepest part of who you are and put that out there, put that forward, put your best foot forward in whatever you do. Give it your all, give it your best. This is not putting forth the, the minimal amount of effort just to get by. I don't know if you've heard of this idea that has been popularized in the last couple of years, but it's called quiet quitting. Anybody familiar with this? This is the idea that I don't, I don't like my job. I actually really hate my job. But I'm not going to quit because I want the money to keep rolling in. But I'm going to quietly quit, which literally means I'm going to intentionally do the very bare minimum humanly possible to keep, keep getting my paycheck and not an ounce more. Nothing extra ever. Does quiet quitting care about doing a good job? No. That's not us. We choose excellence. We choose hard work. We choose doing our job to the best of our ability to create something of excellence, whether it's noticed or not. Because we're doing it, look what he says, as for the Lord and not for people. 
Again, there's people that I've had in my life that I've wanted to work hard for. I respected them greatly. I wanted them to appreciate my work. And so I worked hard for them. I remember when I was uh, in my 20s, I worked for a dot-com company for a little while. And I don't remember when the dot-com bubble burst, but my company got swept up in that burst. Uh, and, uh, and it went down. But it went down sort of slowly. It was a sinking ship. Uh, and I, I decided to stay on the, on the sinking ship because they were telling me, hey, you know what? If you stay on, yeah, we can't give you a paycheck right now, but uh, if you stay on, we'll get you your paycheck as soon as we can get it to you. We'll also give you a whole bunch of stock options. Uh, we're going to put you in a higher position within the company. Like, this is going to go well for you if you just stay on the sinking ship. Unfortunately, the, sink act, the ship actually sunk, um, so it, none of that came to fruition. <laughs> but that, that was hard, right? I was a young guy uh, with a wife who I was trying to uh, support, and, um, and uh, our church rallied around us at that time. They supported us in that time. But they could have just handed us money out of the benevolence fund. But instead, they chose, I think wisely, to put me to work at the church. They were doing this expansion on the youth building, and so they said, Nate, you're going to go out there, and you're going to dig the, um, oh, what do you call that that goes around the outside? The footings, right? You're going to dig the footings on this new building. They didn't need me to dig the footings. They could have gotten a backhoe and taken care of it in a second, right? Uh, But they were doing it for my benefit, right? So I get out there. I really appreciated our church for doing that. The guy who was kind of in charge of of doing that was one of our pastors there, uh, uh, Steve Irvin. And I respected him, and I wanted to do a good job. So I was working my booty off for them, digging these these footings. Um, Now, unfortunately, my hard work... uh, wasn't great. <laughs> in fact, I can remember Steve coming by every so often and looking at it and going, yeah, keep it up there, Nate. Good job. You know, I was like, oh, man, I've been busting my butt. But I wasn't very good at it. Uh, but I worked hard because I wanted them to know how much I appreciated them caring for us in that way, right? But work isn't always that way. Your boss is not always going to be someone that you want to work hard for. Your tasks at your job might not always be something that you really want to work hard at. But if our focus is not on the people around us, if our focus is not on our bosses or our fellow employees thinking well of us or anything like that, but our eyes are above all that and we are only doing what we do because we're working for the Lord not for the people around us, that will transform the way we work. Because our Lord, we know, knows our heart, knows our motivations, knows what's really going on with us, really knows if we're putting our best effort in, our, our best foot forward. Even though other people you know, can judge that and kind of figure that out and you know, we can sort of look like we're working hard or whatever, but the Lord really knows whether we're putting our best foot forward. And if we love our Lord, which we do, and we keep Him in our focus, then our tasks turn from mundane to great worship to our God, right? Because He's the one we're looking at. 
We're offering this up to him and going, here's, here's an offering of my work, of my daily tasks for you. So I can flip a burger and be like, I hope this glorifies you, Lord. I hope I'm doing this well for you, Lord. And we could make some massive impact in our company or whatever, and we could say, I hope you're pleased with this, Lord, because that's what matters. Are you pleased with my work product, Lord? It's worship. And then verse 24, he adds on to it. He says, knowing that it is from the Lord that you will receive the reward of the inheritance. Yeah, every two weeks, we get a paycheck from our employer, right? That shows up. And I don't know about you, but for me, that money goes out about as quickly as it comes in, right? But there is a far, far, far more important paycheck that we're getting, which is this eternal payoff, right? This final paycheck. If our focus is on that bi-monthly uh, paycheck and our effort level is only up to the task of trying to get that paycheck to continue to roll in, you're only going to do the bare minimum to keep it going, right? If you're at a minimum, minimum wage job, why wouldn't you just mail it in? Because what are they going to do, fire you and then you could go across the street to the Burger King and get a, a minimum wage job there? Like, if that's what all that matters, you're not going to work very hard. But if you're working for something eternal, and when you work for the Lord, this is eternal, He's the one that's going to give you this final paycheck. Our focus is on Him, and our reward is an eternal reward, not this temporary reward. It includes that temporary reward, right? We do get a paycheck. That's important. But our level of work should not meet our temporary paycheck it should meet that eternal paycheck. And then he puts in a key point here. Look what he says right in the middle of 24 there. He says, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. If we're the resurrected people of God, we only have one master in our lives. And it is not your boss. It is not your paycheck. It is not the respect of your coworkers. It is Christ Jesus, our Lord, our boss, our master, our commander. We only serve one person, and that is him. Which sounds a little weird, right? Because if we put that in the context of the church, we go, yeah, 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 we only serve one master in the church, right? Jesus Christ, our Lord, no question. We might not even have a problem of going, you know what? We only serve one master in our homes, Jesus Christ, our Lord, 100%. But we might be thinking, job? I don't know. I got a few bosses there. No. In our jobs, we only serve one master, and that is Jesus Christ, our Lord. So flip burgers for him. Crunch numbers for him. Hammer nails for him. Teach students well for him. Provide medical care and for people for him. Do whatever your job is, not for the person in front of you primarily, but for the, for the person above you, our Lord. 
Don't do your job primarily for the person who's looking over your shoulder deciding whether you're going to get a promotion or not. But do it for our Lord. That's what he's calling us to. That's the new life in Christ. Look at 25. It says, For the one who does wrong will, will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done. If you do wrong within the context of your work, you should expect to receive the consequences of your actions. See, the problem with only doing your job when the boss is watching is that what, what happens if the truth comes out? In fact, that boss that I had at Sprint, that dude got fired. And he got fired for the exact reason of what he was doing. They knew he wasn't doing the job when he wasn't being watched. So they found out about that eventually. It took a while. They found out about that and he's axed. They don't want that kind of a guy running a store, right? The problem with being lazy and half-hearted in your work is that when a harder worker comes in and is working hard right next to you and, and they're looking to downsize the company, who are they getting rid of? The hard worker or you? You're gone. And you deserve to be gone, right? The problem with only working, in, in working for your paycheck and, and working as hard as, required, as is required for your paycheck is that 70, 77% of people think they're underpaid in their current job, right? Everybody always thinks, I'm underpaid for what I do. And so a, a lot of times it leads to grumbling and, you know, just mailing it in and discontentment in your job. And if you're the grumbling, discontent, you know, malcontent person in your job and they're downsizing the company, who are they getting rid of? You. And you deserve to be gotten rid of. Of course, you'll probably blame it on the company and how terrible they are, right? He says, and that without partiality. Because I think sometimes we think, we get this foolish thought in our mind, that as a follower of Christ, somehow I'm immune to consequences, right? Like, I know I'm going to make bad choices, but I'm in Christ, so I'm immune to any sort of consequences. No, you are not. None of us are. In fact, we have a good father, and good fathers allow natural consequences to occur in the life of their kids, to teach us, to discipline us. Put it in your handout if you want to fill it in. It's work hard because Jesus is your highest boss and he's cutting your ultimate paycheck. Work hard because Jesus is your highest boss and he is cutting your ultimate paycheck. Now he's going to flip it back around. If you're maybe the uh, owner of your company or the, the top dog in your office, uh, so far you've been like, yeah, you better get working, you workers. Come on, work hard for me, right? All right, it's your turn. Uh, here we go. Masters, grant your slaves justice and fairness. Master is, is, is Lord. It's typically translated actually as Lord. It just means the one in charge. If you are in charge of someone else, this is for you. You might actually be both slave and master at your job, right? Both an employee and an employer, a boss, right? 
Uh, so maybe all this applies to you. But if you manage any other people, this applies to you. It says, grant your slaves justice and fairness. And the word grant means grant, but it's, it's not passive. Sometimes grant sounds a little passive, at least to me. It, it, it's a word that actually means deliberate effort to be just and fair. It's active. It's something I'm, do, I'm conscious of and I'm thinking about. How can I actually be just and be fair to the people who are under me? How can I be just, which means to, to do right by the people under me? You might think something like, you know, in this job market right now, it's a tough job market for, for employees, so I probably could get by without offering um, health insurance. Like, I've always offered health insurance, but I think I can actually cut some corners and not offer health insurance to this new employee coming in, because everybody's looking for a job, I can probably cut a corner and not do that. That is not what we do. We are those who look at the situation and go, what is, how can I do right by these guys? The standard is not how can I get by, how can I do the bare minimum to keep these guys around and sort of happy? But the standard is how can I actually do good to these people? How can I do right by them? That's this new person that you are, this resurrected boss that you are. And be fair means to bring equality, actually. It means to bring equity. It's literally a word that means to bring into balance something that is imbalanced. Uh, I'll give you an example of this that's not in the context of work, but, but to give you an idea of what the word means or how it's used. It says, for this is not for the relief of others and for your hardship, but by way of equality. That's the word. At this present time, your abundance will serve as assistance for their need so that their abundance also may serve as assistance for your need so that there may be equality, balance, right? And in this context, he's talking about this, this monetary gift that uh, the Corinthians were sending to the Jerusalem believers, it was money that was being sent that way because the Jerusalem believers were in a tough spot financially. And that the Jerusalem believers, their faith and their love, uh, their example of faith and love would, would be a benefit back to the Corinthians. So he's saying this is how there's equity, equality, balance. Now in this context, he's talking about boss-employee, Right? There is an imbalance of power between a boss and an employee. There is not a value imbalance. Is the boss somehow more valuable than the employee? No. There's not a value imbalance. But sometimes that power imbalance can create an opportunity to mistreat those who you have power over. He's not trying to eliminate any sort of... Um, hierarchy here. He's not saying masters stop being masters, or masters, why don't you flip it and let the slaves be the master for a while or whatever. He's not saying that. He's saying that hierarchy exists, but you should not use that hierarchy, that power imbalance for selfish ends, to lord it over those who are under you, to dominate them, even when you have power to do that. 
Your, your position gives you an opportunity to treat your employees unfairly. It does. But as a resurrected person in Christ, you look at that situation and you go, I'm going to use my power to treat this person valuably. Because they are equally valuable, I want to treat them as valuable. And then he says, why? Or the question comes up, why? Is it because if you treat them as valuable, your employees will work harder for you? Maybe, maybe not. They might be quietly quitting, right? Is it because if you treat them this way, um, maybe you'll, you, um, if you treat them badly, that you might lose them as an employee, and then you're going to have to train somebody else, and no one wants to train somebody else, so... That's not why. Is it because uh, you want to get a uh, world's best boss mug? It's a good mug. Now, he says, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. You have a Lord. You have a master. You have a boss that you are accountable to for how you treat your employees. And your new self, the new person you are, is someone who images Christ. We've talked about this a lot because Colossians has been talking about this a lot, right? This idea, you stripped off the old self with its evil practices and put it on the new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created it. We are now uh, being what we always were supposed to be, fulfilling the purpose for which we were always created to be, which was to image God to be God. And so in this context, what he's saying is be a boss, (coughs) excuse me, be a boss that's kind and compassionate. Why? Because your master is kind and compassionate. Be a boss who is humble and and considerate. And uh, as a leader that you're humble and considerate because your master is humble and considerate. Be patient with your employees putting up with some of their mistakes and some of their failures and showing a heart of forgiveness toward them because your master has been and continues to be patient with you. And above all, treat your employees with selfless love because your master has never done anything but selflessly love you. So mimic that. Be that. Be that kind of a Lord just like your Lord is. Pointing on your hand out if you want to fill it in. As bosses, as the new person you are, treat your employees fairly and justly, just as your heavenly boss treats you. Bosses, as the new person you are, treat your employees fairly and justly, just as your heavenly boss treats you. Let's read the bottom of the handout together. It says, as new people in Christ, we are those who work... Those who work, those whose work ethics and standards are different than the wider culture. Instead of working primarily to impress our bosses so that we can enjoy the benefits of promotions and accolades, we put in an honest day's work out of respect for our Lord. Instead of doing the minimum it takes to keep paychecks coming, the paychecks coming or the possibility of promotions on the table, we put in our best day's work as an act of worship to our Lord. Instead of being a boss who uses our power to our own advantage, we make every effort to do right by our employees. 
It only makes sense that a transformed people would create a transformed workplace. Some questions that you've had on the handout throughout. In what ways might you have a tendency to change the way you do things at work based on if someone, is in, someone in charge is watching or not? How would your work ethic change if your focus shifted from working for your current boss to working for Christ? And in what ways should imitating your Lord's loving leadership change the way you're leading your employees? Let me pray for us. Lord, um, we uh, are thankful to have jobs. Those of us who are still employed, not retired quite yet, we are thankful uh, to have jobs. We are thankful that you have placed us exactly where you want us to be, that um, that even though sometimes uh, some days are harder than others to be at, at our workplace, that uh, this is where you have us right now. Uh, and some days are harder than others uh, working for our particular boss, um, but this is the boss you have for us now. And we want to be these new people in Christ that you've made us, and that includes our workplace. So Lord, help us to um, reflect your son's character uh, as employees, reflect your son's character as employers and bosses, and that you would be glorified in our work week because of who you've made us and because we're living out this new person that you've made us in Christ. In your name, amen.